Hello and welcome to Deja Recommends. So we are back, you know, uh, not on normal, uh, you know, the normal schedule, but uh, nothing is normal at the moment. So we're doing our best. We thought we'd pop back in your feed and drop a couple more recommendations to uh, to watch while we're in Australia and things are a little less ISO at the moment, but uh, everyone's kind of staying at home anyway. And, uh, and we have a guest. We thought it's not just us that the, you know, the, the good people of the world want to hear from. It's also <laughs> Penny Modra. Um, oh, so we have PMod mm-hmm. here to also uh, expound on a recommendation um, that has uh, potentially come up during uh, isolation. Hi, P. Hi. I've got the hey. ultimate isolation film today. <laughs> I really, it really is. Uh, it's, a, it's a text for our times. Excellent. And of course, we've got <laughs> Alex Heath over in one corner or the, the, the other corner, um, the ahoy, metaphorical ahoy. corner. No Seb still is, you know, that's those children uh, at home that uh, makes makes life a little bit difficult to uh, to get online and do such things. But uh, he'll be back say, soon. I've never been more happy to be a barren woman than during this, <laughs> this time, because even the most patient, loving parents I know have just been driven like to Seb absolute insanity. Yeah. <laughs> absolute insanity. And especially once you throw in the homeschooling. Oh, God. My God. Yeah. yeah. It just, it's not like people go to four years to uni for four years to learn how to do that. Then you want to also add in the weird dynamic of you're trying to teach your own child who has... At one, at the same time, the most respect for you, but also the least amount of respect for you. Absolutely. Just sounds like hell on earth. Yep, yep. So uh, how about, um, Al, uh, let's Mm -hmm. start uh, with your recommendation, um, Mm -hmm. a a singular recommendation this time, or have you got a few? No, I did did a little um, triumvirate of just, I'm just going to talk very shortly about each of them, but I've honestly been struggling to watch narrative films at just I don't know there's something about the um they just draw too much of my attention and I just uh, get a bit distracted and overwhelmed by having to sit and pay attention to um like a complete other world uh that's fictional for some reason at the moment so um I thought about some of the really amazing like standout documentaries that I saw at MIFF last year Ah. um and I actually think last year MIF documentaries were it was like they were particularly excellent. And there was three that I thought were just wonderful. And I'm gonna try my best to help you find them. But I honestly think you may need some VPN action or other possibly nefarious ways. Yeah, nefarious means to get to them, but I think it's well worth seeking them out. So the first one is called Recorder, the Marion Stokes project. And it's, you know, I went into this film. It's about a woman who recorded uh, television 24 hours a day for 30 oh, years. Yeah. And you kind of go into this thinking, this is going to be a film about mental illness and obsessive compulsive disorder or, you know, perhaps paranoid, you know, some kind of paranoid dislike disorder. But actually it's an amazing film about, I guess, accountability um, because as it turns out, most of the the stations, uh, you know, she's recording film, uh, sorry, news broadcasts as well as like sitcoms and everything. But most of those broadcasts of news were not being archived at all by the stations. So 
in a way she is, you know, catching them in how they're presenting and, and holding them to account in, in what, how they present the news to, to people. Um, she was a communist, um, but just becomes this just crazily interesting recluse whose whole life's work is just having these multiple televisions set up with recorders going, um, VHS recorders, and just she ends up with over 70,000 VHS tapes um, of everything on television over this time. So from 1979 with the Iranian hostage crisis until December 14th when the Sandy Hook massacre happened and that's when she passed away. Um, But, yeah, she's just this amazing African-American woman who, um, yeah, basically just wanted to, I guess, yeah, hold to account the people who were telling the story of what was happening in her world and she had the funds to be able to just devote her life to this project. And you come out of it thinking she's actually doing an amazing like archival work and it was just her life's project. Um, And yeah, so it's really not a film about mental illness or, you know, about like disordered thinking or disordered life. It was about just an amazingly prescient woman who had just, you know, just a a calling, I guess. That's amazing. amazing I, yeah. Yeah. No. And uh, I mean, in 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 a less thoughtful uh, sort of tangent on that one is back in the sixties and seventies, um, mm. like the BBC and the ABC, like they used to just tape over stuff. So mm. they would produce television shows, yeah. and there are shows that like ran for like ten years that don't exist anymore unless mm. someone has recorded them at home on their telly, you know, but then yeah. not, not everyone had those in the seventies and things like that. Yeah. And so they're like, they're, like all these people remember old TV shows. They're like, Oh, I'd love to see that. It's like, they don't exist anymore. They had literally been taped over um, because yeah. by, by the BBC and the ABC. And yeah, yeah. it's just kind of bonkers. Um, yeah. Cause we kind of, it's a tragedy. Now. Yeah. yeah. You think about always just being able to access everything. And I think that, the internet has informed how we imagine the culture is being kept and, and safeguarded. But it, yeah, as you say, Mike, it's just not, it wasn't the case certainly when, um, you know, television was in its earlier stages. Yeah, absolutely. Yet another divide that cuts a chasm between Generation X and everyone else. <laughs> I follow a creepy Twitter account that remembers creepy childhood shows from the 80s. I have to remember what it's called. But they oh, were yeah. remembering Chucky um, the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I'll chuck yeah. a link up to that because I am into that already without even knowing any details. <laughs> yes. All right. So what's your, uh, what's your next All documentary, right. Al? All right. Next one. Sorry, I'll try to be less long-winded, but that one in particular seems so, considering how we're having to record what's happening on the streets in, you know, mass protests happening at the moment, it just seems very apt. Slightly yeah. less apt. An amazing documentary about Ghanaian scammers called Sakawa. So basically this, this director kind of embedded himself in with these uh, mostly young men, but also there's some women um, in this, these sort of like 20 somethings who are extremely poor. Um, They are uh, basically trying to scam Westerners into sending them money by, um, you know, promising love and phone sex and 
often pretending to be women when in fact they are not using like voice, um, like a voice altering technology on their, on their phones. Yeah. And it's just a really interesting look at how these delusional men in America and, uh, and in Europe um, kind of want to believe that these that there's a woman on the other end of the phone who really loves them and uh, is so interested in them and their lives. And then you you cut to this Ghanaian guy going, oh, I love you, baby, in like a really, um, <laughs> you know, not very believable voice. <laughs> um, just trying to like, and the hours that go into trying to bilk these guys and um, trying to get them, you know, trying to better themselves and get out of the situation that they find themselves in now. Um, that's so nice that it, ta- that it takes the scammer's perspective. Yes, it's really from the scammer's perspective, and but it but it and yeah, the the they're, the guys that they're fooling on the other side of the world, it sort of humanizes them as well. It's not, you know, oh look at these dingbats, what a bunch of losers. Even though you sort of, I mean, you do think that, obviously, but it's definitely really embedded and the the director uh ben azamar is he is a belgian ghanaian guy so he knows the people he's dealing with um he you know speaks a language and he's obviously very trusted by the people that he is um he's with so he gets amazing access to this situation of just they basically it's more than a full-time job just trying to bilk dumb westerners out of their money um it's really fascinating it will make you think about internet dating in a totally new light. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, my fa- one of my faves, um, a documentary called You Don't Know Me, uh, which is about the movie Showgirls, which we uh, covered oh, on this year pod. Yeah, yeah. You can go back and listen to how much I love that movie if you would like, if you haven't listened to that episode already. But this is like a, a documentary that covers the rehabilitation of uh, Showgirls and the, I guess, the deification of it as a cult masterpiece. It's the, the sort of way that um, fans of the film have taken it and turned it into its own kind of room experience that this just, you know, all these people just completely devoted to this absolute piece of trash, even though <laughs> I say that, but I also think the movie's amazing. Um, it's, yeah, just... The, the fans, the recreations, there's like stage plays, very similar to the Point Break play that exists. Um, just, you know, people have all these rituals surrounding their enjoyment of the movie. And it kind of also deals with how Elizabeth Berkeley has kind of come out the other side of, you know, being so brought low by the critics and how that film was initially received and her performance was received and how she's kind of come back from that and um, accepted that part of her acting legacy and sort of had the last laugh, I guess, in, you know, presenting this film as this amazing piece of like auteur trash cinema. Um, Yeah. So it's a, it's about, it's a film about reclamation is, is, is anyone from the film in it? Like is Elizabeth Berkeley in it? Or? So they have, they have footage of her presenting the film at, uh, what's that LA Cemetery called again? Oh, um, uh, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. You know, um, everyone's yeah. yelling at, anyone who's listening yeah. is now yelling the name of that cemetery. But yes, a speech that she gave 
um, sort of presenting the film and it really shows the like emotion that is uh, lives within her about this, like the pain and the, um, the, I guess the triumph, because I think a lot of people must go up to her now and say how much they love it and how much a movie means to them and how much entertainment they've gotten out of it. But yes, no, there w- there's no one involved in the film who's like really uh, participating. I think basically everybody who was in that film would not want to participate. Um, but there's definitely, yeah, some some old footage of uh, people being interviewed about about their contribution to that film. And then mostly just, it's mostly from the perspective of the people who have taken the film and turned it into the cult artifact um, right. that it is today. Yeah. Which is an interesting um, take for sure. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, a, to... um, it's sort of like a proof of MIF's tagline. You know how they used to have everyone's a critic? Yeah. It's like a critique yeah. of criticism. It is. It a hundred percent is. It really is. It's sort of saying like, okay, so the crit- the critics at the time didn't like it, but that doesn't mean this film doesn't mean a lot to people, many, many people, and we oh, want to yeah. explore that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, you don't know me. Great pun title too. You don't anyway. know me. So, uh, Penny, as our guest, you you have selected a a film. Um, I have. So so uh, what what you got for us? I want to talk about Beetlejuice. <laughs> Woo! I, I've, I've, I, Alex, I so related to what you said about not being able to focus on yeah. things of yeah. any length. And no. especially not fiction. Not um, fiction? What is it about fiction? I don't know. But it's really become <laughs> like a test in our house now. I think since I have acknowledged my own ADHD and Stuart yeah. has come to realize that's what the problem is a lot of the time (laughs) we've got a test of a show now which is how much of the show can I sit through before I have to get up and take a break (laughs) (laughs) honestly that's where I'm at at the moment without a diagnosis I'm that's where I'm at at the moment it's yeah my attention span is just not there I think you should just embrace it, you know, embrace that kind yeah. of spatial thinking. I, and I have to warn you in advance, this will be a very ADHD take on Beetlejuice because I have <laughs> like a storm of thoughts about this film. And I have yes. to say recently everything has been pointing me in the direction of Beetlejuice for some reason. It feels like it's in the air. <laughs> First of all, it's just appeared on Netflix or at least recently, you know, it's yes. popped up there. Mm as far as I can tell. Second of all, there's been a a little flurry of new news and this happens about every, you know, five years and has done since the 1989 that there's going to be a sequel (laughs) sequel. to Beetlejuice. But this is currently in the news again. You know, apparently Warner Brothers are talking to Tim Burton and Michael Keaton again. Um, and that's something to discuss, you know, like the validity or necessi- <laughs> the necessity of a Beetlejuice sequel. You know, I um, and I'm sorry to jump ahead, but I this has been on the cards since, you know, the early 90s. Um, Tim Burton was interested in a sequel that was written called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Oh. Um, and he was going to kind of take on these property developers in Hawaii. In any case... Um, various <laughs> writers were approached because both of the original screenwriters for Beetlejuice, um, 
died really quite I mean one of them died only a few years after after Beetlejuice came out in any case various screenwriters have been approached and Kevin Smith famously was approached to write the screen play for Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian and he he later (laughs) joked his, his response was, didn't we say all we needed to say in the first Beetlejuice? Must we go tropical? <laughs> and, and also, ju- sorry sorry to interject, Penny, but um, the, the villains being evil property developers is the most 80s, early 90s uh, trope, trope in the world. Like, property right. developers. Uh, the- Were they about to bulldoze the rec centre? Yeah. Uh, no, it was some yeah. sort of unearthing of, like, an ancient Hawaiian curse. Ooh. It reminded me of that episode <laughs> of the... Um, the Brady Bunch, you know, where the, the double episode where they go to yeah, Hawaii. Go to and, Hawaii. In any yeah. case, um, okay, so hang on, where can I even come in on this? Beetlejuice is in the news, it's on Netflix. And also, to me, it touches on all those themes I'm so aware of now being in, in essentially, well, not quarantine, but lockdown, you know? Mm. This is a couple who love their home. So they're really predisposed to being at home. It's a movie, I think, about being at home in a way. They're they're cursed in the sense that, you know, the bureaucratic kind of handbook for the recently deceased point, and this has driven home to them, um, that they kind of have to stay in the house for 125 years before they qualify for kind of additional help. (laughs) But they don't. But they don't kind of resist that. That they really are homebodies, and I feel as though it, in a way, it's about um, feeling safe in your own home, you know. Or mm-hmm. like, but it's also about like you're right, Mike. It's about like, is it about the decline of small town America? Is it about gentrification? You know, for people who don't know Beetlejuice, I ask you simply to go on YouTube and watch the opening sequence. I think. It will tell you so much about the film. Obviously, I think this film is a work of genius, but that opening sequence especially, I don't know if you recall, but it's that amazing, really piano-heavy, orchestral Danny Elfman-like score. And it's very The Shining in the sense that you're kind of zooming at drone level down this road, you know, through the miniature model town that the Alec Baldwin character keeps in the attic. And so it's got all these this kind of second by second sort of Simpsons frequency references to other films and cultural touchstones Um, but it um, and actually I think that there's a lot I don't know I, I feel as though Tim Burton this is his great work I think this this film is about like so much of the um the so many of the ideas for his later films can be seen in in this film, even as in, in its iconography. Also, I think Lydia Dietz, as played by Winona Ryder, is a stand-in for Tim Burton. I believe that. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you hear all her lines, you know, she says, um, live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> and remember how um, Jeffrey Jones, you know, the dad who is outstanding in this, and can, may I say also, Catherine O'Hara has been yeah. going. So anyone who has recently become a, re, yeah. a renewed fan of Catherine O'Hara via mm. Shit's Creek. Never stopped. This, yeah. this is it. I mean, how long has this woman been a genius? Yeah. Um, mm. Remember Jeff, the Jeffrey Jones character promises to build Winona Ryder a dark room in the basement, basement and she says, my whole life is a dark room. 
<laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm being a bit ADHD, but I just feel as though... No. There, no, there is so I'm much right. about this that feels... I, it's stunningly relevant. Yes. Do you guys yes. have these fond memories of Beetlejuice? I, it's not one of those films that you wish you go back to and want it to be good and it's not good. Like, it's mm. astonishingly genius when you go back and watch it. Yeah, I was, uh, I mean, I haven't watched it in a really, really long time and I was hoping to re-watch it last night in time for this, but I was, I watched Howard the Duck and I was too baffled by <laughs> watching Howard the Duck, um, another Jeffrey Jones joint. Um, oh, wow. And, um, uh, so I, I had to stop uh, just watching anything, but um, I'm very keen to rewatch it just because I, I, I have so many memories of it. I don't think I saw it at the cinema. It must have been, I, I, I reckon I saw it on telly, but um, yeah. just... And also just the just the whole concept of it, and and I think when you're speaking of you know Tim Burton's kind of more recent work, he hasn't made a lot of original stuff of late. It's more you know your mm. Willy Wonkers and yes. things like Alice's, that. Alice um, in Wonderland. I'm so glad you brought that up because this is mm. invented from nothing. This is the yeah. the yeah. most bizarre concept you ever heard of, and I think it really benefited from being written and rewritten a lot of times before it was made. It was yeah. intended as much more of a straightforward horror. And then it was rewritten as a comedy, which I think just added these ridiculous layers to it. I think it yeah. maybe is a sign of what used to be possible in Hollywood. You know, like working yeah. really hard well, it's not, it's, on, it's, on it's, something. You know, it's, it's not the Beetlejuice cinematic universe, so we, uh, you know, um, <laughs> so we won't right. be, you know, seeing too many of them. But um, also, and I, I remember think there was very, a cartoon as well. You know, yes, um, there was a re yeah. also a recent stage play. This is still um, very present yeah. in people's minds. You know, this, the Broadway musical yeah. was launched in 2019, and it was nominated for eight Tony Awards before it was shut down by the quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Penny, are you? Are you open to the idea of of a sequel? Are you cautiously optimistic that it could actually... I, yeah. I, I, I know that I think that both Tim Burton and um, Michael Keaton are so wedded to this idea and have been for such a long time. And Michael Keaton yeah. saying, I'm holding out for the right script. I think yep. Michael Keaton in a way sees Beetlejuice as his kind of primary character. Like there was so much mm. ad-libbing in the... In, by Michael Keaton, uh, I feel as though he keeps maybe he's not going to do this unless it's amazing and Winona Ryder wants to do it as well. And why wouldn't Catherine O'Hara do it? Is Jeffrey Jones still alive? Uh, Jeffrey Jones's career is not a thing anymore because he uh, uh, some sexual abuse uh, stuff happened uh, with uh, minors, and so uh, Jeffrey Jones really mm. isn't uh, yeah, doesn't get many jobs anymore. Yeah, okay, so. and rightly so. Okay, yeah. that's fine then. Yeah, I feel like that's the most recastable role, though. Honestly, that's true. They are the, the current talks about the sequels say that it's not going to be Beetlejuice in Hawaii. It's going to be like a a real-time 27-year gap, you know, where everyone has aged. Right. Yep. <laughs> All right. Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis are still, uh, you know, still still acting and vital, so... I feel as though Alec Baldwin in that film, it's like, can he ever have been that young and that oh, hot? And that good-looking. Yeah. It was, that was right around the Hunt for Red October period where he was yeah. just peak, peak handsome. Um, I really hope yeah. my ADHD, I know, I know. like, 
uh, like spouting of information there at least got people <laughs> feeling like I don't want to watch this again. I, I, I most definitely and and the great as you mentioned, um, uh, it's it's uh, it's on Netflix in Australia at the moment. So eighty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, everyone to pick that one up. Yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, yeah, I'm definitely going to be rewatching, rewatching that one. Um, so once you've uh, gotten over your PTSD from Howard the Duck. Oh man, that's a that's a. Is that your recommendation? No, it's not my recommendation. <laughs> oh, it is. Weird. It is. It is my recommendation to not watch Howard the Duck. Um, but a uh, sexual anthropomorphized duck is not. Who carries a condom, an, an open condom around in his uh, in his wallet? It's um, oh. it's baffling. Um, but, uh, but no, no, my, my recommendation is, is not that. Um, so sort of on the back of my recommendation in the last podcast of the, uh, uh, the podcast, the plot thickens, which is about Peter Bogdanovich's career. I've been sort of jumping into some of his films and mm-hmm. I watched uh, paper moon from 1973, which is just Wonderful. Like it's um, basically it's set in the um, the 30s during uh, the Depression in the US and uh, Ryan O'Neill, who seems to be in every movie in the 70s, and I just don't get it, um, apart from the fact that he's handsome. Um, but, he is uh, that. Uh, but um, but now I kind of I, I got it in this one where he plays he's a he's a um, a phony Bible salesman so he's a, a shyster and he um, uh, turns up at a uh, at the funeral of an, you know uh, a woman he um, had some time with and uh, there's an eight year old daughter um, who is played by Tatum O'Neill so his daughter Ryan O'Neill's daughter mm-hmm. and they um, uh, he sort of begrudgingly uh, try you know. They, they say, oh, you know, you've got to take her to her aunties. And um, it turns out that she's quite a dab hand at, um, you know, this phony Bible salesman stuff. She's a pretty tough cookie. And uh, it's just it's funny. It's 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 kind of one of those movies where you're watching it and you go, oh, this is the this is the blueprint for all the movies that came after it in in a sense. Um, it there's so many opportunities for it to sort of go over into the schmaltz sort of go, go too far into schmaltz and it doesn't. Um, and it's the first movie that I kind of got Ryan O'Neill. Like I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, and the fact that they're, <laughs> the fact that they're actually, you know, father and daughter in real life yeah. um, just makes such a, you know, their, their, their chemistry is yeah. Amazing. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's my recommendation. Um, I'm, sure it's you know findable somewhere um it's definitely yeah. on itunes and things like that but um but yeah it was uh yeah it was a wonderful movie so is it adhd uh, friendly oh yeah uh well no it's quite long it's like two hours so and it's oh. black and white it's right? black and white oh. um but it's somewhat it's it, to be honest it's somewhat, it's somewhat episodic <laughs> It's somewhat episodic, so okay, you can probably okay. watch it in chunks. Yes, um, chunks. That's what I'm and, talking about. Uh, and it's also got, um, I mean, there's, you know, th- those two, but um, Madeline Kahn is um, brilliant in it. She sort of plays this uh, um, carnival strip, uh, I think it's a striptease or a burlesque um, dancer. Exotic that, dancer. Um, yeah, and then, but also, I was very excited by uh, seeing John Hilleman, who plays two characters. He is most well for me, most remembered as Higgins from Magnum PI. So, um, uh, oh, I love him! Oh my god! 
So, um, but a classic uh, yeah, no, lineup. Strong recommend. Okay. Cool. Um, well, I'll add it to the list, Mike. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, look, you know, uh, these are sort of our recommend episodes, so we won't, you know, we won't keep you for, for too long, but we're, we're hoping, uh, I think we've got um, another guest lined up fairly soon, mm-hmm. so we'll jump back on. But um, uh, I think we should tease it because it's Ms. Brody Lancaster. Well, it's Brody, yeah. And oh. I mean, she'll, she'll have content and pop culture um, references mm-hmm. for probably things she that I won't She is one know. member but, of Generation Y whom I can accept and appreciate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely it's been wonderful having you on the line penny it's great to oh, see you, thank you it's, for been, having me. Yes. it's been far too long um and when uh, you start your adhd friendly movies podcast i will listen to the hell out of that because i really need it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i'm so into this idea honestly i think the world needs it <laughs> oh thanks for having me Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> Al, uh, all the best. Be well. And, Thank you, um, you too. And, uh, yeah, we will um, catch everyone again really soon. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.